Welcome to the Winging It Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond, where every Monday I'll be joined by guests to talk about their travel stories, travel tips, backpacking advice, and so much more. Right now, I'm taking the podcast on the road traveling with me. So tune in every week for short form episodes detailing all my travels alongside my Monday guest episode. Are you a backpacker, traveler, gap year student, or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. This is a casual, informative podcast designed for you to inspire you to travel. There'll be stories to tell, tips to share, and experiences to inspire. Welcome to the show. Hey, yeah, just a quick one. I just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast. You can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with $5. Or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with TeePublic, where there's plenty of merch available to buy, such as t-shirts, jumpers, hoodies, and also some children's clothing. Thirdly, which is free, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast, and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcasts, and other stuff. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode. And today I am talking about my little hike up Langtang Valley, which happened about a week ago in terms of recording. And I'm going to give you some details of what we booked, prices, tips and tricks, uh, also a rough itinerary of each day, what that entailed. And also there's a big question at the minute about if you need a guide in Nepal. And I might kick off with that in a second. But first of all, some admin for Langtang Valley Trek. First up is equipment. So you're going to need some very good, decent hiking shoes. I have Solomon, which I bought in New Zealand, I think about five years ago. And they had a good run for five years, doing lots of treks and hiking around the world, actually. And I got the same pair again just before we left late last year. They cost about 200-ish Canadian dollars around that mark. Fairly hefty for a price, but you cannot put a price on quality. They will last me, and they've already done some very good treks in my time travelling. Another optional item is walking poles. I didn't have any coming into Nepal. I actually had some last year in Spain. I picked them up free at a hostel, but then they got taken away at the border when I tried to get them through as hand luggage. They said no, so they took them away. So I came to Nepal and Kathmandu with the idea of buying some. It's going to vary in price by quality, by how much you barter at each shop. But there's loads of shops in Kathmandu to buy them from. But I just wanted the cheapest ones possible. And I managed to get a pair of walking sticks for 800 rupee. That's about 8 Canadian dollars. So you do your maths there. And they were brilliant for the trek at the end. I've still got them actually. I think I'm going to carry them with me until we get to Vancouver. Another bit of important admin is insurance. Because you'll be going over 3,000 metres on this trek... You need to double check with your travel insurance and insurance company if they cover over 3,000 metres, just in case you get really bad altitude sickness and you need to be airlifted out, something like that. Please double check your insurance. I'm with Safety Wing and I think they covered it pretty much most of the way. So double check your metre coverage on your insurance. Some might be 5,000 metres or above and you won't be hitting those sort of heights. Unless you do one particular trek, uh, which is a day trek from Gumpa, but I'll come to that later on. The next bit of admin or question is, do you need a guide? So April 1st this year, there was a new rule brought in by the government 
that every trek in any national park or basically any trekking area requires a guide. Before then, people could actually do anything without any guides. A lot of people did do treks with guides anyway because they either needed or wanted them or just wanted to experience having a local with them. But it's now enforced officially. Now, on the trek, I did meet a few people without guides and they were telling me that that is not enforced in the Everest region. The Everest region, which is the base camp and stuff like that, are very much against that rule and they're not going to enforce it. They just said they're not going to do it. Not sure if that will change in the future, but that's definitely what's happening on the ground. In terms of Annapurna, I heard that some people were doing it without a guide, but they do get checked or asked occasionally at checkpoints. I think you can blag your way through it, but maybe they're just a bit more hot on it there. And in Langtang, from what I experienced from people I met on the trek, the police and the army did not give a shit and just let you go through. April 1st is a bit of a weird date to implement it because it's coming towards the end of the season. So we do think maybe because basically right now into June when the rain's going to come in a couple of weeks, no one's really going to be trekking that much. And maybe they thought, oh, they just won't enforce it until the hiking season starts in September again. So maybe later this year it could be enforced a bit more harsher. If it is harsh and they will find you about a guide, they will find you and send you back. So that is the official rule and it's worth keeping an eye on. You'll see blogs probably now coming out saying you don't need one, but just bear in mind right now, maybe yes, but the trekking season's almost over. So when it comes to September, you might have to book a guide. We didn't know that really until we arrived and it kind of scuppered our plans a little bit. Initially, we wanted to do Langtang Valley and the trek in our own time. You know, I think we're thinking two weeks, that's not all trekking, that's some rest days in the villages and just enjoying the views and maybe do some day hikes. But unfortunately, because we weren't sure, we had to book a guide, which means we'd done the trek in less time and a quicker pace. Wasn't a plan. Then obviously the next admin you're going to have to do is trying to find a guide. You can find them online. You can reach out to people who have email addresses and arrange it. Or you can get to Kathmandu and go into one of the many tour company shops here in Tamil. So we booked our tour through our hotel uh, because we read reviews that he could organise um, treks, anything you want basically. So we stayed at Avalon Hotel, which is about sort of $16 a night. And on top of that, Saput is the owner of the hotel. He helped us arrange the trek. Now, what we agreed upon at the start was nine days, and it's going to cost 715 US dollars, and that includes everything. So that's Jeep return. We're not doing buses at this point because we refused to do buses. Last time, not a very good experience from Annapurna. This time we said no. Jeep, which is markedly more expensive. And that includes the Langtang National Park permit, the Tim's card that you need, uh, the guide, salary and insurance, and some taxes on top. To separate that cost, the Jeep from Avalon, so that their driver that they use, charges 140 US dollars each way. It's a very hefty cost, and it will take about six hours. In comparison, the bus is only a thousand rupees, which is about 10 Canadian dollars, so not even maybe eight US dollars. But it takes between eight and 10 hours, depending on how slow, how many stops, if it breaks down, etc. And I did actually get the bus on the way back, but I'll come to that later. So that is your rough cost there. And I think a lot of hotel owners or hostel owners will probably have a contact for you to use to organise this. And that's essentially what we got for nine days. And that is a rest day in Langtang 
and it's obviously going to the start point, staying there, trekking pretty much seven days in total, and then the other at the other end coming back into Kathmandu for the Jeep. So, so I'm going to go through each day, so day one to day nine, what that actually entails, some information, some costs, uh, and how hard it was. And there was a caveat to this whole story, which you might have seen on my social media. But day one was a Monday, I think, and we got picked up about 8am. And the Jeep took about six hours. There was a couple of stops in there, a toilet break and a lunch break as well. But decent time, I thought, and fairly comfortable. Um, to Langtang's going north, so you're going to have to go up some roads, down some roads, and pretty much go up to the start point. But actually, in terms of altitude, the starting town, Serebesi, is pretty much roughly the same altitude as Kathmandu. So you're going up and down pretty much. So we arrived into the main town called Serebesi. This is where all the treks start. And we stayed at the Rising Sun Hotel uh, for a thousand rupees for an ensuite. But I think we got, might have got a discount on that to 800 actually in the end. Uh, I know that's the normal price for it. And food is between four to 600 per meal. And at this point, water in town is 30 rupees. So this is water in a plastic bottle. And to give you some idea of prices, these won't change that much throughout the trek, but it's gonna cost like 400 rupees, which is four Canadian dollars for like an omelet in the morning. Tea and coffee is between 100 and 150 rupees. It's gonna be shit coffee, so Nescafe. And also evening meal, probably pretty much be Dal Bat. That's gonna be between five and 700, depending on where you stay. And that's normally all you can eat. So Dal Bat is the local dish here in Nepal. They eat it twice a day. That pretty much is veg curry, lentil dal soup, rice, probably get a pop on with it. Maybe an extra bit of veg and some other stuff that garnish it, but that roughly is the meal that a lot of people have twice a day here. I did have it twice a day, but some days I had chow mein, which would be a little bit cheaper, four or five hundred, and you can get momos for five hundred as well. So that's going to be roughly the cost of food. I won't repeat it too much, uh, only if there's a slight difference in price, but that is what the food price is going to be. So we stayed the night, very comfortable, and the Rising Sun Hotel has a western toilet and hot showers. Day two, so this is going to be the original plan of Serubesi to Lama Hotel, which is a village, but it's called Lama Hotel. And Serubesi is about 1,500 metres above sea level, and you're going to climb up to 2,500 metres, so a 1,000 metre climb on the first day. And predictions would say between six and eight hours of trekking, with some breaks in there as well. So we set off, lovely day, hot. Now, top tip here as well, sun cream, you're going to need it, and a hat. Two very important items that you're going to need in trekking season, because it is going to get very sunny. You might be covered on some of it, but when you get up to the mountains, not much cover at all. And after an hour, hour and a half, we got to our first proper stop at a place called Pido Hotel. It's by Spring. It's kind of the first tea stop you get to. And Emma started to feel not very well. She already was walking fairly slow up to that point, about 20 minutes to half an hour before that. Unusual, because Emma's quicker than me, and she had to get the walking poles out as well, so it wasn't a great sign, and she felt a bit ill getting to Pyro Hotel. Not altitude, just snotty, coldy stuff. And we decided that to play it safe, we won't trek anymore that day, and we'll stay at Pyro Hotel, which was 700 for a room, and just chill out and to see how Emma is the next morning. Luckily, we had a rest day in amongst the plan, 
of nine days, but that uh, was the right thing to do. And we thought, well, we'll stay there. It's pretty rustic. It's going to be an Asian toilet, a drop-down toilet, and also no real showers. There'll be cold shower, but nothing too fancy. And we stayed there all day and pretty much had tea, coffee, and spoke to the guys who owned it. Really nice family of guys who own it. Speak some English as well, so we had a chat, had some dab out in the evening, got to know him a little bit, it was very peaceful, and we stayed there the night. Next morning, we woke up, which would be day three, and this was where the plan started to deviate. Emma just couldn't do any more, and we decided to let Emma go back to Kathmandu. Once that was agreed, our guide, Saperna, Drop Emma back to the town where we started and the jeep picked her up and drove her back to Kathmandu that day. And the agreement was that I would carry on with Saperna, our guide, to the top and back. And because I think a bit of us, well definitely a bit of me, is that we already paid for it. And I wasn't sure on the refund policy, would we lose out on money? Because quite a bit of money nowadays uh, with 700 US dollars paid out. And we just wasn't sure. I wasn't feeling 100% but I felt good enough to carry on. So Saperna took about an hour to drop Emma off and come back again. And he got a move on, actually. He was pretty quick. He sweat when he got back. Had breakfast, and we left about 8 a.m. So the revised schedule now was to go to Riverside, which is further than Lama Hotel. And Riverside is 2,700 metres. So it's going to be a fair old climb. Still a 1,000-metre climb. Hot weather. It's going to be going through the trees, through the forest. And I knew it's going to take a fair whack to get there. It's going to take roughly seven to eight hours, that was prediction. And we got to Riverside about quarter to four. And that trek from Pado Hotel to Riverside was tough. Lots of uphill, lots of steep uphill. Some say that's the hardest day, and I think it was. Not really defined steps, so hopefully your quads are good. Get your walking poles out, and I was just absolutely hanging, especially towards the end because it's just one step after another, up in altitude, I wasn't feeling 100%, and I really pushed to get to Riverside. If I got to Riverside, I knew the next day would be easier, because even from Lama Hotel to Riverside, it's a fair 260 metre climb. I think I'd rather do it that day than the next day and add it on. So we got through. The lunch spot on this day was at a place called Rimchi, and it actually started to rain there, and we were considering whether to stay there, or get to Lama, or go to Riverside. Uh, but we made the decision to go to Riverside. Uh, got my raincoat out and also got my cover for my bag. Rimchi was great. Good lunch there. Again, it's a standard lunch there. About four or five hundred. Had a charmaine. Now, the biggest jump in cost here is water. Water is now ten times the cost. So we're in town. It's thirty rupees. Now it's three hundred. So you have a choice. You budget for bottled water, which is plastic, unfortunately. Or you bring a filter bottle and use that for local water and filter the water out. A lot of people are doing that because the prices are extortionate for water. Makes sense because everything goes up there is carried by a human being or a yak or a donkey, but mostly human beings. And it does cost in terms of time and payment for them to get that. Towards the end of the climb, I did meet a guy called Kentucky Daniel. That's what he called himself. Uh, he was a bit like me, struggling to go uphill a little bit. We kept crisscrossing, going at the same sort of pace. Cool American guy, very positive, kind of cool to bump into him because I was down in the dumps about how hard it was. He was the opposite, despite it being equally as hard. And we did meet back up at Riverside Hotel uh, for dinner, which was good. I didn't feel like eating. You 
but you do have to force yourself to eat because you need the, the, the calories and the energy. So I got in a curry in the evening. Uh, he was having some stomach problems as well, so it wasn't a great scene. And we also met a British couple there who were coming down from from Gumper, and we sort of shared some stories and stuff like that. But Riverside is pretty cheap. It's about 500 per room. That is not en suite. The toilet is an Asian toilet, and there's no real shower apart from a cold river water. So very rustic, and the meals were going to five to 600. But a nice evening that, because I met Kentucky Daniel, had a chat. It was good to sit in by the fire and talk travel. Riverside is right by the river. It might be obvious, but you can hear the river flowing at night. So it's quite nice. Uh, but you are right, probably the closest you're going to get to the river in terms of the whole track. So at this point, we're 2,700 metres up. Altitude is not a problem for me, just day to day, but sleeping is. And I couldn't really sleep that well because the altitude, I just couldn't do it that well. Not great sleep, but slept just enough to get enough in to feel okay next morning. And we're out of the door by 7.30, early breakfast. And so see you there to Kentucky Daniel, to Langtang. And off I went. And this day was Riverside to Langtang Village. Now 2,700 metres is Riverside. Langtang is 3,400. So it's about, you know, seven 800 metre climb. So not as hard as the day before, in theory. But legs are more tired. I always had a bit of a cold and a cough. That didn't help. Every two minutes I had to get blown my nose. It's pretty grim. But just got on with it. So after a fairly tough climb initially, got to lunch at a place called Thang Shiap. And that's 3,200 metres up. And I felt at this point I was pretty much there. The hardest bit was over. The guys were saying that. And that's definitely right because there's some steep inclines up to that point. And it was the best lunch I had on the whole trek. It was a curry. I don't know what curry sauce they're using there, but it's unbelievable. So I would highly recommend it. And the place is called Higher Guest House. So you nip there, get some lunch, you won't regret it. Also at this point, we're bumping into a couple of guys doing the Himalayan Trail, which goes from West Nepal to East. And these guys were doing unbelievable distances. And I couldn't believe what they were doing. And also, interesting time of year to do it, because they're going to run into rain. Um, but we kept crossing crossing over those guys but we met them there, had a chat with them and one's from Bangladesh, I think one's from Nepal eventually made it to Langtang in 7 hours and my accommodation was Sunrise Guest House and that was a 1000 rupees for an ensuite with a shower which is hot and western toilet, so a bit of luxury there and it was needed because I was absolutely hanging and in terms of views at the minute obviously you see some of the distance but it's quite cloudy at the minute. We've been in a forest kind of for the first two days and mountains are starting to appear, but nothing really as of yet. But you can tell you're getting in amongst it and a bit closer to it. So Langtang was reached by probably about 2, 3 p.m. Then I went to the Himalayan bakery and cafe and had an Americano and I treated Saperna to a hot chocolate. It was really needed because the Nescafe coffee was doing my nut. This cafe, Himalayan bakery and cafe, is the best one in Langtang for an Americano. They also do cakes and fresh bakery stuff. And the guy there who runs it is called Mipsang, and he's a really nice guy. Go and speak to him, have a coffee. Great, great guy from Langtang, and he makes the best cakes. So get there for a little treat. Coffee's going to cost around 300 rupees, but I think it's not too bad. Just think someone's carried that Americana machine right up there. So definitely worth the cost, and it's fantastic coffee. The rest of day four was chilling out and had obviously a classic 
down about an evening because I needed as much food as I can get and kind of enjoyed just chilling out and just watching a bit of Netflix really because my legs were tired. I needed to calm down a little bit. And I knew the next day, day five, was going to be a rest day, so I look forward to that to check out the area and not have to trek up any altitude. So day five was in Langtang Village. This was always the plan. And the morning, no clouds, and finally I got to see what all blogs and podcasts have written about and spoken about, and that is the views. And every mountain, 360-degree view, was covered in snow, and it was clear as day. It's weird. I went up to breakfast, just kind of slumbered up, went to get my omelette, looked at the windows, like, oh my God, what is that? So I quickly got out to the balcony, got my photo, got my videos, all for social media. Couldn't believe it. And in the distance, you could see what you're going to, and it looked even better. So I was excited for the next day to get there to Kianjin Gumpa. Kianjin Gumpa. But for this day, it was a rest day. So I went outside, got some photos, enjoyed the view. Uh, felt a bit sorry for Saperna, really. He's just kind of sitting around doing nothing. This kind of plays into, do you really need a guide? Because what's he going to do to sit there and watch films? Which he did. And also the trail has been pretty easy up to this point. But I'll come to that in the summary later on. But for this day, enjoyed the views around Langtang. Went to Himalayan Bakery and Cafe. Got a coffee. Spoke to Mipsang. Chilled out. And enjoyed Langtang Village. The one unfortunate thing you'll see when you come up to Langtang Village on your trek is the area where the landslide happened because of the earthquake, I think eight years ago now. And Mipsang was telling me about that day and the family members that he lost, which is really sad and quite heartbreaking to hear. But you have to walk across it and you just know that underneath all these stones and rocks is people's old houses, old businesses, and obviously people underneath there who lost their lives. So it's a pretty harrowing walk, but you have to do it because they built further back now. And Sapona was telling me when you look to the left, it's like a huge, like, I wouldn't say it's a hill, it's a small mountain really. But the avalanche came above that from the higher mountains, so they had absolutely no chance and everything got buried underneath it. And when I was in the calf, this really old lady walked in, like I'm talking 90, maybe even above 90. And I said to Mipsang, oh, who's that? He's like, that's my great grandmother's younger sister. And then he told me about his family, about who survived. But she survived because she hid underneath a table and rock or something and she you know, got a bit scared and just stayed where she was and that made her survive. So it's quite nice to see him just give us some cake. He gave us some chocolate cake and she didn't like it, so I had it instead. But it was great to hang around in Lantang, meet a local in Mipsang and enjoy the views. Fantastic. Day six was Lantang Village to Kianjin Gumpa. Uh, not too much of a mission this day you can up maybe 300 meters maybe 400 depending on where you stay in the village and it's going to take about three to four hours so uh, it's a fairly nice walk up and it was a really nice walk up maybe until the end we have to really climb the hill into the village of Gumpa. but you know three hours we got there and the views were just out of this world this is when probably my favorite part of the trek happened because you're in amongst snow-capped mountains and mountains that are now reaching Five to six thousand, and you can see Langtang Mountain to the left, which is seven thousand two hundred, I believe, and that's the highest mountain in the region, hence why it's named after that. And you get to see everything in its full glory. And we actually thought if we get a move on to Gumpa, we'll get there, have an early lunch, and try and do the day hike up to Kianjinri, which is going to be about four thousand three hundred to the first viewpoint, and then four thousand eight nine hundred to the second viewpoint. 
I was up for it because I had a rest day and this day wasn't too bad. So we got there, had an early lunch, but then as soon as like midday comes along, all the cloud comes in and you have to weigh up, is the view going to be worth it for the effort? And Superna think it wouldn't be as good as what was saw that morning. So we decided not to do it and I was kind of relieved because I was knackered and I didn't really fancy going up another thousand metres pretty much. But we didn't rule it out. Next morning we thought we'll weigh it up, we'll see how it goes. If I'm up for it, we'll do it. Um, so there we just checked into the hotel, which was called the Holy Land Hotel. And that was 1500 a night with ensuite, shower, western toilet. And prices are the same, about 700 for a Dao Bat. Uh, if you wonder about Coca-Cola, for example, they're plastic bottles and they cost about 350 to 400 Extortionate. I held on to the last few days. And what was kidding my budget was just the water. I mean, I'm drinking at a fairly slow pace and maybe not as much as I should but even that was costly and I started to realise that the amount of money that I had was going to be fairly close towards the end and you need to have cash so you need to take everything with you there is a caveat here though in Langtang and in Gumper there is ATMs uh, if it's not a Saturday which is a day off I think they work pretty much every other day so you can get money out if you need it in an emergency on the way out to Gumper was also a nice little spot called the Hard Rock Cafe this is the last cafe with views and the one that was open for coffee. She charged 250 rupees for an Cafe coffee, which is $2.50. That's extortionate for a pretty shit coffee, but I needed it with a bit of sugar and the views were worth it. But I couldn't believe the views of Kinjin Gumpa, just in all really of this whole area. Got as many photos and videos as we can. And because we had an afternoon left, we actually walked down to the valley. Now you can see the valley in the distance by the river. And you can walk down there, it's not too hard. And we walked all the way down and got the view over the different valley in the distance, which is over Seko Ri. And at that point, you get really close to the Chinese border. We got down there, got to the river, got some views, got some photos, and then walked back up for a coffee. And at the end of that, I was pretty knackered. And I think I decided then that I just couldn't do Kinjin Ri in the morning. I was just too tired. My legs were done. So Saperno dropped me off at a cafe called Kinjin Gumpa Bakery and Cafe and had Americano and I was just wanting to warm up and also just chill out. They have Wi-Fi there, so you can tuck into that. They have cakes there, same as the last cafe in Langtang and the coffee is Americano, so it's very, very good espresso coffee. Nothing really going on really and then a few people start to come in and this is where I met a few backpackers and travellers. So I met a guy called Lawrence. He lives and is from Vancouver and we got chatting about his trip. He's been away for seven months. And that was cool. And then another guy called Tor, who I had seen at Langtang before, and on the trek actually on the way up. A Norwegian guy. And there was other two girls that they knew. I think one was from Sweden, one from Germany. And we all just started chatting about travels, Nepal, uh, the new rule about guides, and all that sort of stuff. And that's where I first found out that people were trekking without a guide. And we talked about the pros and cons of that. Had some coffee, talked about all different types of travels, had a cake. Spoke to the owner, he was an interesting guy. And pretty much spent the whole afternoon in there. And it started to rain as well in the afternoon, so that's a good indication that if you can do any day hikes, get up there early. And the owner of the cafe was explaining that in the morning, between sort of 5 and 6 a.m. to maybe 11, 11.30, it's clear all the time. So that's when you should do your day hikes. In Gumpa, you can do two main day hikes. So I mentioned Kianjunri, you can do that. You can also do one called Seko Ri, which is even higher than those guys. 
And that is a real tough trek. It's going to take a seven-hour round trek, I think. And it's really tough because you go even higher in altitude, post 5,000, I think, up there. And Tor and Lawrence were planned to do that next morning. And they'd already done Kinjanri as well. So these guys were expert hikers and Tor was actually trail running. So this guy was trail running with a guide who was also, back in the day, an ultramarathon runner in Nepal. And he found them through Google and they were running the trek, mostly apart from the uphill bits that were difficult. I'm actually going to get Tor on the podcast and talk about that because that's such an interesting story. So watch out for that in the future. In the evening, had dinner at the hotel. Now a rule you must be aware of, I don't know how to enforce this, but it's a rule. If you stay in any guest house or hotel, they expect you to eat there as well. If they find out that you eat somewhere else or you don't really have dinner, I don't know how much this is enforced, I've not seen it, they'll double the price of your room. So make sure you eat in your guest house. They all have the same menu. There's no point going anywhere else. Just bear that in mind. There's also another thing that people say is that you buy food at the guest house and the guest house room is free. I think traditionally that is true on some treks. But in Langtang and Gumpa, I saw none of that. The cheapest I saw was 300 which is coming in a bit. So maybe in the unknown or unpopular hikes, you'll find a local homestay or guest house who won't charge you for the room. But obviously you buy food there and that's the deal. But on this trek, I did not see it. Next morning was downhill day. So day seven was Kinjin Gumpa down to Lama Hotel. And we're going down about 1,300 metres at this point. And I felt up for it. Downhill, not too bad. I even entertained going down to the village at that point, but that was a bit too ambitious. So we got down to Lama Hotel. We left about 8 and got there at 3. So a really good time. And we checked into a guest house called the Friendly Guest House, which charges only 300 per room and the same price for food, six 700. And I started to treat myself to a bottle of Coke here, so that's 350. And the lunch for that day was at a place called Goda Tabella about 3,000 metres, uh, which is, yeah, halfway. And that was pretty pricey. I had Momos. I think they cost like 500, maybe 550. And also got a bottle of water and a bottle of Coke. So it's post 1,000 for lunch. Pretty hefty prices. But that day, at the end, maybe the last two hours was really tough because you remember that start when I said it was really tough going uphill from Rimchi, Lama Hotel to Riverside, I was doing that bit again. And downhill, my legs were absolutely gone. I was walking sideways. I know when that happens that my legs are done. And there was so much relief when I got to Lama Hotel. Again, no no shower, no hot shower, no western toilet, so it's pretty rustic. Just got out of my clothes, dried off, and just chilled out the rest of the afternoon until evening, had Dal Bat, and that was it. I was pretty much done at this point. Then the next day, day eight, was Lama Hotel back to Serebesi and that would take four to five hours and it was pretty painless but annoying because I was ready to get back to the hotel and also the last stretch which is on the road pretty much you go past the hydro plant basically follow the river all the way into town that was longer than I thought actually and that was a bit annoying and it's very hot this day and I was just done uh, too much heat legs gone needed a bit of coolness, needed a can of Coke. I just need to get back to normal prices. And on that trek, we did stop for a tea at uh, Bamboo. That was nice. Had a sort of... Bamboo is on the way up or down. You can choose whether to go there, either or. 
It's quite close to Pyro Hotel, where we stayed first night. And it's got a nice view over the water. So we had a tea there. Got there in good time, actually. Probably like 11am, maybe half 10. Then we walked down to Pyro Hotel, where we stayed the first night. And I went and saw the guys again. And they instantly asked about Emma. And I said, yeah, she's fine. The guy there who cooks the food, he's quite a young guy. He was ill when I left last time. And I gave him some ibuprofen and some Advil. And he looked better, so that's good to see him looking okay. And the old guy was really nice. Like he was shaking my hand, uh, gave me a huge plate of chow mein. And just a really nice family. So it's an awkward place to stay because I'm not sure you would, really. But you definitely would stop there for a tea and a bit of lunch. Because it's either too close to town or it's too... Well, either way, it's too close. I mean, you either start on your trek or you're pretty much there. So I don't think people stay there that much. Um, but it's good to see those guys, and they're very, really, really nice. So go to Pyro Hotel, say hello. And then pretty much got to the Ryzen Sun Hotel in early afternoon. And that was a time where I smashed a bottle of Coke, bottle of water, and chilled out the rest of the afternoon. I was done. In that hotel, I met a guy called Hal. He's an American guy. Probably about in his 60s, I think. I think he's retired now. He was walking up, starting up. Uh, I've said on social media he made all the way to the top. I think he even done Kianjin Ri, so fair play to him. And his guide was super cool as well. I think his guide's climbed Everest a few times. Real cool guy, good to know him as well. Don't know his name, unfortunately. Um, but in the future, I might even hit that guide up if we have to go back to Nepal and do a hike with a guide. That pretty much sums up most of the trek. And then day nine, the next day, was the bus ride to Kathmandu. Now, I said I wouldn't do a bus again, but unfortunately, the Jeep is so expensive if you don't have people with you. So as a couple, $140 one way, it's just too expensive. Our return trip was used for Emma, and rightly so, to get her back to Kathmandu. So I decided to save some money and get the bus, which cost a thousand rupees. And I think it took eight and a half hours. <laughs> it got repairs at a garage, about three or four stops, and the roads are atrocious in Nepal. They haven't improved in five years since last time I was there. But it is a cheap option, and it wasn't that comfortable. If you're taller than me, you're going to struggle. And I just got through it, really. Just listened to music, looked out the window. But I got to Kathmandu, and that was the end of Langtang Valley Trek. So to summarise, do you need a guide? Probably. Definitely later this year, I'd be keen to see how to enforce it, and I wouldn't even risk it, because you just don't know how they're going to react to that in September when all the tourists come to do treks. Sapona was great. He arranged everything, every hotel, every dinner, he looked after me. And in terms of tipping, it's a grey area, no one really knows. But allegedly they get roughly between 20 and 30 US dollars a day as their salary. Again, you don't know how much they're getting because it's part of the cost that you pay for the trek. So based on that, um, you give 10, 15% of that as a, as a tip. So I think I gave him 60 US dollars in the end. And he seemed fairly happy with that. And he shook my hand and gave me a bit of a hug. So that was cool. And I really appreciated him getting me through it. Because there were some dark hours in there when I was kind of monging out uphill. I think it's worried about me a few times. I was heavy breathing at one point. Um, my cough was pretty bad. Uh, I'd definitely done the trek ill in reflection. Probably shouldn't have done it. But coughing all the time. Um, my sinuses were not great. I didn't sleep that well either. I was ready to go back down to normal levels in terms of altitude so I was actually relieved to get to Kathmandu but Kathmandu is a bit dusty and I wasn't that infused but good to do it enjoyed the trek, loved the views amazing views, you got to go and 
do most of the days early to make sure you get the views. But in terms of Trek, an easy one, I think, compared to maybe some of the other ones in the pool. But for me, it's quite challenging because I'm not that fit. But I think for anyone who's got mild fitness, it's fairly okay uphill once you get past the first day and a half. You're fit pretty much there, and downhill is just obviously coming back downhill. And the guest houses are all pretty much the same. Langtang and Gumpa have western toilets and hot showers, and you get coffees in these places. These are like little towns now where they're like a home away from home. They're not too rustic anymore. But between Cerebesi and, let's say, Langtang, it's rustic accommodation, cheap accommodation, and you just need to bear with it and get through to Langtang. So not only did we pay about 715 US dollars between us for the trek, that does not include accommodation every night, food, drink. So that is on top. And I think for nine days, I had roughly around 28,000 rupees, which is 280 Canadian dollars. And I was pretty much out at the end, especially when I gave the tip. In Cerebesi, they have uh, three ATMs, so you can get more money out. And I said before, Langtan and Gumba have ATMs as well. But I would probably take more. If Emma was with me, I think we might have run out of money because she'd be eating as well. Uh, I think we probably would have decided actually to use our filters because the water is so expensive, 300 a bottle. You smash a bottle in after two hours of walking. So that's an issue in terms of budget. But very comfortable, I found it. Not too rustic. Love the food. Dalbat is amazing. Charmaine's amazing. Lots of coffee. You can buy chocolate bars up there as well. There's some fruit up there, bananas and that. And all the food is fresh and grown up there too. Amazing views, amazing people, and just an amazing area. Got to go and do it, put it on your list. And alongside Annapurna, it's probably one of the most popular treks to do. In terms of tourism, at this time of year, May, I actually found it not very touristy and not very busy. And I think that's the same on on the whole compared to Annapurna. So you won't regret it. If you need any questions answered you can reach out to me about anything i've said here i think i've covered everything from transport to each day trekking to cost of accommodation and food and the tip and the guides and some other day treks you can do i think it's all there let me know what you think and check out my social media for some amazing photos and videos of the area probably some of the best views i've seen definitely on this trip this year but also ever in total the last trek in Annapurna in Nepal was equally as good as well. So they are amazing if you get great weather. Any questions, give me a shout and I'll see you in Kathmandu.